always been a sense of political unrest in America. Whether that's from people who believe in our current economic system, or people who believe that something needs to change, the idea that we are in a secure place within our lives politically, economically, and socially has been a hot-button topic ever since America was formed. A couple weeks ago, the DePaul Socialists and College Republicans had a chance to debate the pros and cons of socialism and capitalism. Both of these groups have complex views that are pretty much polar opposites of one another, a formula to create a great debate. Instead of discussing this issue specifically, most of the debate was a typical liberal versus Republican, who's better type of scenario. So, to make it easier, Charlie Carey and myself, Sarah Breedlove, are going to concentrate on highlighting the parts of the debate that focus in on the actual topic, socialism versus capitalism. Let's start this off by defining socialism and capitalism. According to Merriam-Webster, capitalism is an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods. This is from investments that are determined via private decision and by prices, production, as well as the distribution of goods, which in turn are determined mainly by competition in a free market. Socialism, on the other hand, is any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of means of production and distribution of goods. That doesn't really help explain what each system entails. During the debate, both the DePaul Socialists and the College Republicans gave their opening statements, which both scratch the surface of how each system works. Socialism is a society where everyone gets to democratically decide the work that we do and the resources that we produce, rather than an elite few who own the businesses making all those decisions for us. That's Quinn Mulroy, a sophomore member of the DePaul Socialist, speaking alongside senior member Taylor Edwards and junior member Anais Donald. Such a society would have no need for oppression, and in such, a, in such a society we could devote our collective energy to eradicating all forms of ignorance and hatred. Now, the Republicans are going to tell you that socialism is Cuba, Venezuela, Stalin's Russia, China, oppressive states that replace the dictatorship of capitalist competition with the dictatorship of a demagogue. Instead, we say socialism is the Paris Commune of 1871, or the Russian Revolution of 1917, before 14 countries invaded, facilitating the rise of a brutal dictatorship. Far from some abstract system imposed by a bureaucracy, we see socialism as growing out of the democracy of resistance. In short, socialism lives in every single battle for equality, justice, and freedom. As Karl Marx put it in 1867, the emancipation of the working class must be accomplished by the working class itself. And that, and only that, is socialism. Looking at their opening statement, the DePaul Socialists highlight some pros of socialism. It's a completely democratic system where everything is decided upon by everyone. It's a system run by the people who built it, as well as the people who maintain it. A system where everyone, no matter what they identify as or what they do with their life, has an equal say in the decision-making instead of leaving everything up to politicians and people with power. On the other hand, the college Republicans highlight some pros of their own for capitalism. Capitalism is the predominant system of exchange, systems of economics across the world right now. That is John Minster, a junior member of the College Republicans, speaking alongside senior member Brendan Newell and sophomore member Nick Grykus. Capitalism has won because capitalism provides for everyone. It's a system of providing things for people through mutual transactions, property rights, contracts. 
Under capitalism, it's the individual's choice that he gets to make with whatever he wants to do with his money and his person. Um, capitalism focuses on uh, legal protections. It's a structure of emphasizing incentives where people are going to behave through their rational self-interest. And those rational self-interests, as you work together with other people, as you make mutual exchanges that you agree upon, ultimately end up in a, a more uh, prosperous society for everyone. And it's increased economic growth across the world. Um, it's brought down global poverty significantly, especially in the last 30 years. And it's what allows us to be here. Uh, this water bottle is capitalism. This cell phone that we use to keep time is capitalism, among other things beyond just keeping time. Capitalism provides the system through which we live today. According to them, capitalism is a way to provide for everyone. It is a way to protect what people earn on their own rather than having to share that with other people. It brings us new ideas and innovations through the push of competition. It's also brought many countries out of poverty. Now that we have their perspectives, we decided it might be a good idea to get more opinion on the matter. So we reached out to Lewis Hyman. I am Lewis Hyman. I'm, I'm an associate professor of history at Cornell University, and I teach and write on the history of capitalism. Naturally, we asked him to explain. What exactly are these economic systems? The easiest answer uh, is to think about capitalism as an economic system centered on investment. So there is a break a few hundred years ago where people began to realize that instead of just consuming any excess resources, they could reinvest it. And you see that investment come about uh, both in new opportunities for trade at first, um, then in new opportunities for production, especially in the sort of slavery of the new world, um, and then after that in factories both in the old world and the new world. Socialism, then, is the belief that there is a kind of social claim on the way in which investment occurs within society, um, as well as the organization of labor, which opens up to a larger conversation about, you know, what kinds of claims on that investment process there are. If you think about the history of capitalism, the way you should think about it is it, capitalism has been an engine for growth and it's been an engine for equality. Um, and that there has been a struggle over who gets that growth. Um, and that growth comes from two places. It either comes from the extraction of what economists call externalities. That is things that are outside the market system. And historically, it's been people. It's been the extraction of resources um, that can't be rep replaced, you know, the sort of coal or things like that. And on the other hand, there's another side of capitalism that's about increased productivity to create value that makes every makes labor into something that creates more value than you could do by yourself. So the classic example is a, a pin factory in, in Smith. So if I try to make pins by myself, it's, I'm not going to make very few a day yet. If I divide up into a group of people and we each take a small part of that, the division of labor, then you know we can be much more productive. And yet, if we add pin-making machines, um, we can make many more pins. And so there's a value there that is not external, that is just about productivity. But the distribution of that productivity has been a struggle, both economic and political. Going back to the debate, the Republicans proceed to make advances on how capitalist societies are inherently better than socialist ones. They keep saying, oh, we can't apply Venezuela, oh, we can't apply Cuba, oh, we can't apply Russia. But if you actually think about it, 
each time those revolutions started, it was the same group of people that had the same ideals and the same implications. And they, they tried to use these ideals, but something happened, okay? All, they always have the same um, inquiries and quandaries and criticisms, but there's always the same outcome when they try to apply those ideals. Something incorrectly happens. We're not talking about dismantling the entire system that has gotten us to the human progress that we have today. You guys are. Every time you guys have tried what you've wanted to do, it has led to mass murder. And I see words like militant here. Tell me what a peaceful democratic revolution looks like, because I'm yet to hear how that is actually going to look like without creating a new power structure and room for someone to fill like you saw with the Bolsheviks in 1917. You have to have power involved. We're just trying to mitigate that power to the individual. The Republicans do make a good point. The societies in question were extremely violent, and a lot of people died making a change that didn't turn out as well as they thought it would. I think that violent revolution um, has not turned out that well. Um, it certainly didn't turn out that well in the Soviet Union or in China. Millions of people died. Uh, but I do think that we can guide capital in ways that allows for a more egalitarian society. That brings us back to the DePaul Socialists. They take those criticisms from the Republicans and renounce them. Republicans keep saying is that the government is the one making the decisions in socialism, and that's not actually what revolutionary socialists are about. We don't see a distinction between the government and the governed because we use dramatic, direct democracy. So that's, first of all, not what we're talking about, and Venezuela is not the type of socialism we're talking about either. We don't even think Venezuela is socialist. So in all these countries where socialist revolutions happen, there is one thing that always happens that causes failure. It's that all the capitalist countries of the world impose sanctions, blockades, CIA, coups that overthrow democratically elected governments, military intervention. There's no wonder why so many socialist projects have failed across the world. They're right. Marx believed that the transition to socialism would occur not in Russia or China, these agrarian backward economies, but in Germany and in the United States. We had well-developed parliamentary and congressional systems. This is the hope of 19th century radicals. And today, you know, it's up to Americans to decide what kind of system that they want to live in. In any debate, when you present a contradictory idea, you need evidence. The Republicans don't think that the socialists are able to do that, considering throughout the entire debate, the Republicans pulled out charts, graphs, and overall solid evidence to support their points, whether or not their information was 100% correct 100% of the time. The socialists, on the other hand, more so relied on emotions and tried to get people motivated through speeches of, in their eyes, much-needed reform. So I, I, I think what we've seen tonight is, is that uh, one of the things I've noticed kind of when, when they've talked about what real socialism is, they, they've always talked about very specific events, right? They've talked about the Paris Commune and the Bolshevik Revolution, but they haven't outlined an actual system of government. And when they've had, they've, they've said what's called radical direct democracy. Uh, direct democracy involves everybody voting for like one type of policy. So I wonder, are we going to have in the United States 320 million people, everyone's going to vote for one policy and that's how we're going to decide? What we figured out when it comes to that is that's just, it's not feasible, right? Representative democracy is easily the most efficient form of government. It's ultimately the form of government that has been most effective across the world, which is why most of the world does it. What we are arguing with regards to capitalism, with regards to this sort of government, is it's human experience. It's what we, over the last 2,000 years, but especially over the last couple hundred years with this sort of this new sort of liberal world order, 
is we, we've seen uh, we, we've seen that capitalism is ultimately we, we figured out that this is the best way to go that doesn't mean you can't trim around the edges that doesn't mean you can't create certain type of policies to help capitalism work a little bit better right we, we have roads we have bridges right we don't leave everything to capitalism but ultimately it's 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 a system of rational self-interest and mutual transactions that we as human society have seen over the last 2,000 years is truly the most effective way for us to govern ourselves. What they're arguing is something totally different that rejects those 2,000 years of experience. So throughout this debate, the Republicans have tried to argue that socialism is not possible or not preferable to capitalism because human beings are inherently uh, radically self-interested and need to be pitted against each other in order to create anything innovative or any sort of good. Because, uh, you know, apparently capitalism is major to solve for all the inequalities in the world quite effectively, or it will eventually. Uh, we, however, refuse to accept that a system based on exploitation and rely on inequality is natural or permanent. We instead choose to fight for a different system, to believe that a better world is possible. A world that is organized to meet the basic needs of human beings, not to maximize the profit of the rich. The urgent need for a better world has never been more imperative than the political moment we are in right now. We've been told that the highest form of political participation is electing politicians to hand down freedom to us. But it is our job to show them that we will not wait for them to create a change for us, but instead we will rise up and resist whenever there is injustice or oppression. Uh, as Frederick Douglass put it, there is no struggle, there is no progress. Power concedes nothing without demand, a militant demand. It never did and it never will. Find out just what people will quietly submit to and you found out exactly what the ruling class can get away with. And this will continue until they resist with words or actions or both. The Republicans sit here and try to talk about their politics like they are abstract economic and political theories, like their ideology doesn't have an impact on everyday people's lives. By contrast, we understand the things we are debating tonight, economic inequality, systematic racism, violence against women and gender non-conforming folks have life and death consequences, and they should not simply be ignored or dismissed, but continuously exposed, debated, and protested. Throughout the debate, each side was boasting how their system was better than the other without truly explaining what their system was. There was just talking at each other without really listening to the other side. It's frustrating to hear because neither side is making a clear point. When we look at capitalism and socialism objectively, there hasn't been one clear winner. Even Dr. Hyman talks about how America really isn't one system at all. I think most people would agree that they, it's a little in between, um, that we do have private investment of capital. Um, we have private labor markets. Um, but there is also some claims on that, so that we, our state taxes economic activity and then decides how to reallocate that money. And whether or not that is in the control of the people in a democracy or whether or not that's in the control of, you know, you know however you think about it. But yeah, it's something that is, these sort of pure systems never really existed. So even if you're thinking about the history of Soviet communism, you know, this is this is also not. They had investment there as well. Um, they had they borrowed money from the West, from Western banks, to support certain kinds of consumption. So, the question is about, as Marx would say, who controls the means of production, who controls the the flows of capital. I think when you talk about capitalism and socialism as intellectual abstractions, 
it can be fun to talk about them, right? Because they're both kind of utopias or dystopias, depending on who you are. And I think what's interesting to think about is the way that capitalism and socialism both have histories. It often is the case that capitalism seems natural, that people have always traded with one another, right? Trade is go back you know, since the dawn of time, right? You see these long distance trade networks throughout the Middle East, throughout Africa, Europe. But capitalism as a engine of growth has only existed for a few hundred years I and mean, really accelerated in the late 19th and 20th centuries. And we don't know. We don't know if it's going to go on like this forever. I worry less about the future of capitalism than the future of democracy, so that we also know that at the same time there's been a stagnation of the expansion of democratic institutions around the world. So these things are always in tension with one another, and figuring out how to do that right balance to increase people's everyday prosperity, to increase their political freedoms, and in the process not destroy the planet. I think that is the big moral challenge for the 21st century, trying to balance all those things. And it's not something that's done by a system. It's not something done, done by an idea. It's something that's done by people getting together and making decisions. And if the people make good decisions, then, you know, I hopefully it'll turn out well. And if people make bad decisions, they think that they can just let the system run by itself as opposed to something that has to be guided, then things will turn out very badly. Although the topic starting the debate didn't focus on capitalism versus socialism a lot of the time, it's important to think about why that is. Maybe the lines between our economy and social lives are blurring. Either way, Dr. Hyman makes a great point. The future of democracy is hazy. Whether you're pro-capitalism, pro-socialism, or something completely different, it's important to learn as much as you can before making an exclusive commitment. Do your research, open up a dialogue with people who have opposing viewpoints, and try to be as open-minded as you can. The world needs you now more than ever. This episode was written and produced by Charlie Carey and myself, Sarah Breedlove, with additional help from Doug Klein. We'd like to extend a special thank you to Dr. Lewis Hyman for speaking with us on this topic. We would also like to highlight that over this past weekend, Radio DePaul was awarded seven times over, with our very own Joe D'Amico being awarded Best General Manager, as well as winning Best Online Streaming Station in the nation. I couldn't be more proud. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to leave a review on SoundCloud and iTunes. It really helps us out. However, if you still want more content and you're hungry for comedy, be sure to tune in to Mistake and Eggs, where humor is served sunny side up. You can find that on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and the Radio DePaul app. Once again, I'm Sarah Breedlove, and thank you for listening to the Radio DePaul podcast.